I think if I were to try to describe anxiety in as few of words as possible, I would say that anxiety is a surface level fear for an underlying fear with much deeper roots. When you're able to let go of the resistance towards that deeper fear, you'll remove it from the roots. Welcome back to another episode of What Is This? I seriously appreciate you guys tuning in and I really appreciate all of the feedback on the first episode. I've been really excited for this episode for a while. I had actually sort of envisioned how I wanted this episode to go before I had even recorded the first. But I just wanted to share certain perspectives and understandings I feel like I've been able to collect about certain emotions that I've experienced. And specifically, the emotions that I wanted to talk about were fear, guilt, anxiety, anger, insecurity, and what I believe that they all have in common. Because I feel like they're incredibly common emotions that most people don't really take a whole lot of time to think about or try to understand. I just don't feel like there's a whole lot of awareness around these emotions. And I mean a collective awareness, you know, as a society or an individual awareness. We just know that when they come up, we are not having a good time. <laughs> and that really seems to be the extent of the knowledge that we develop of them. So because of that, we categorize them into a bracket of these are the good emotions and these are the bad emotions. These are the ones I don't like. And when most people feel these emotions on a consistent basis and they try to tackle the problem of doing away with them, the prescription for the problem is often some sort of medical prescription. You know, take this Prozac and your problem might be solved. But the root of the problem is not that you don't have a prescription for Prozac. When you were a kid, your peace of mind and your happiness were not dependent on a pill. And as long as we're creating solutions like these for problems that we don't understand, I don't think we're ever going to create something that's sustainable because we're not tackling the problem from the roots. We just tend to take a very surface level approach to how we solve most of our problems. But in regard to relieving ourselves from chronic anxiety, chronic depression, chronic anger, chronic fear, and so forth, whatever it is, the real problem to me seems like just a lack of understanding. It's because we don't understand these emotions that they so frequently arise in the first place and often linger for so long that we begin to consider them a part of who we are. But what I believe all of these emotions have in common is that they can all be very helpful but are not necessary. In this whole podcast, I'm basically just going to be elaborating on that statement. When I say I believe they're helpful, I think the easiest way to explain what I mean there is to use the example of fear. A lot of people would make the argument that the only reason any species has survived as long as it has is because of the fear of death. The argument is that fear is what prevents us from going, you know, 140 miles an hour every time we get on the road. Fear is what motivates us to avoid strangers in dark alleys in the middle of the night. Fear is the reason that we avoid dangerous animals in the wild. And this argument made a lot of sense to me, the argument that fear is a good thing in certain circumstances. It's obviously kept us alive this long. But as I thought about it a little bit more, the question came up, is it the fear that's necessary or is it the awareness that the fear triggers that's necessary? And in asking this question, I realized it is entirely possible to be totally aware of a certain danger and to simultaneously let go of the fear of the danger completely. You could choose to avoid the danger simply because you know you would rather live than die and have fear play no part in that decision-making process. Fear is something you decide to let into your mind and it is a decision. The reason that I say it's a decision is because fear is just another word for resistance, and resisting is something you do. 
and what you do is always a decision. You could be in a complete state of surrender to the possibility of death and at the same time choose to avoid it because you know you would rather live. So, in other words, the fear is not necessary so long as you have awareness. So long as you don't have the awareness of whatever danger is present, the fear will give it to you. So obviously it can be helpful, but when you can maintain that state of awareness, at that point, the fear no longer serves any purpose, and it becomes completely futile. And I think this is the same for almost any other negative emotion that we can think of, at least from my observation, that they're necessary without awareness, but with awareness they become futile. And the way I think that this relates to an emotion such as guilt Well, first of all, it's probably important to define what guilt is, and I think the simplest way to define it is just a feeling that you've done something wrong, which is very similar to a feeling of insecurity. The difference between guilt and insecurity is that the feeling of insecurity is that you are something wrong, that there is something inherently wrong with you. So somebody who often feels insecure usually often feels guilty as well, because if you believe that there's something wrong with you, then you usually believe there's something wrong with what you do as well. So in a circumstance where you feel guilty, or you feel that you've done something wrong, the only sane thing to do in that circumstance is to ask yourself, what is it that's wrong? You know, what naughty thing did you do? And when you do gain awareness over whatever it is that you think is wrong, there are two things that could happen. One is that you will see that you really did do something that you would rather not have done. And in that scenario, when you acknowledge that whatever you did is something you wouldn't like to repeat, you will never consciously do that thing again. And in that recognition, you will be able to watch the guilt subside because it no longer serves a purpose. It served its purpose in helping you to gain the awareness that you did. And the second scenario is that you will see that you've done nothing wrong, that the guilt was all a false alarm. And in that scenario, where you realize you've done nothing wrong, you will also watch the guilt subside because in that scenario as well, it no longer serves a purpose. So in the same way as fear, the awareness causes the emotion to subside. The guilt was helpful in helping you realize you were doing something that didn't make you feel good. But with the awareness that the guilt triggered, the guilt no longer became necessary, no longer served a purpose. So these sort of emotions are very similar to an indicator on the dashboard of your car. They present themselves to let you know, hey, there's something you're missing here, there's something you're not seeing. And so when you do see what the indicator was pointing you towards, the indicator no longer becomes necessary. It served its purpose. The problem when you don't understand this principle is that you might feel guilty and rather than solving this problem through gaining awareness, your method of problem solving looks something like trying to hide from the guilt, trying to resist the guilt, or trying to numb the guilt with drinking or smoking or whatever method you choose. But the truth is you're never going to get rid of it by hiding from it or resisting it. That's a perfect example of a surface level approach to solving a problem. That approach is like putting duct tape over the check engine light on your dashboard when it comes on. In that scenario, because you never gain the awareness, the guilt will just stick around hanging out in your unconscious, and the longer it stays there, the more familiar the feeling of guilt becomes to you. The more familiar the feeling, the more it feels like it is becoming a part of you. And when this happens, certain actions and behaviors that used to feel inconsistent with who you are will now feel consistent with who you are because you've allowed the guilt to shape your identity, you've allowed it to define you. And we all just want to act in a way that's consistent with who we believe ourselves to be. But if you confuse who you are with the identity of a guilty person, then you will continue to act in a way that's consistent with the way that a guilty person would act. You will act out the role of somebody who is guilty and undeserving of love. 
all because of the confusion in not viewing guilt as an indicator, but viewing it as an identifier. And similar to guilt, this is what nearly everybody today thinks about anxiety, that it's an identifier rather than an indicator. When you say, I have anxiety, what do you mean? Are you saying that you're anxious right now, or that you have been in the past, or that you're going to be anxious in the future? I think that is what most people mean, that they have had a common tendency to become anxious in the past, and so they're just planning on becoming anxious in the future. Kind of like how eating and drinking and sleeping are all a part of living, anxiety has become a part of living, it's become habitual. And so you label it a part of you in the same way that you would your race or your gender. And just like guilt, anxiety is not an identifier, it's an indicator, but it will define you if you believe it will, and if you allow it to. Kind of like how if you leave an indicator on the dashboard of your car for a long enough time, you almost just consider it a part of your car. <laughs> when anxiety becomes a familiar feeling, just like in guilt or any other emotion, the longer the emotion sits within your unconscious and is never acknowledged, the more familiar the feeling becomes. And the more familiar it becomes, the more it does begin to become a part of you. And when I say it becomes a part of you, I mean it starts to affect the physiological chemistry of your mind. What happens physiologically whenever you experience any emotion is you'll simultaneously establish a neural pathway in your mind. And the more you experience that emotion by acting out a certain behavior or thinking a certain thought, no matter whether it's positive or negative, the more refined that neural pathway will become in your mind. And the more this neural pathway becomes refined, the easier it becomes to slip down the path and it takes less and less conscious attention. That is why tendencies become habits. The transition from a tendency to a habit is just the transitioning of a conscious process to the unconscious. This process is able to take place because of how neural pathways are able to become more and more refined. Because when they become more refined, it takes less energy to go down that path, which is why we're able to hand a process over to our unconscious. And it's immensely helpful because when our unconscious mind is able to handle a certain process for us, our conscious mind can allocate its attention elsewhere. Kind of like if you were in a Tesla that was on autopilot, as long as it's on autopilot, you're able to allocate your attention anywhere else. But that's why we can walk and talk, or why you can drive and listen to this podcast or whatever you're doing. But this ability to transfer a conscious process to the unconscious, which is immensely helpful, can also be immensely destructive if you create certain habits, such as the habit of becoming anxious. When the neural network dealing with your anxious tendencies becomes frequently active, the neural pathways eventually become so refined that they work themselves into your DNA. And I'm obviously not a neuroscientist, I'm just talking about this as far as I understand it. But as far as I understand it, that is why certain behaviors, certain interests, and certain tendencies are hereditary. The DNA is passed down to your kids and your kids' kids. And that's what genetic memory is. There was a study done which involved an experiment on mice. And they were doing research for the purpose of better understanding certain phobias and anxiety. And so what they did is they trained the mice to fear the smell of a cherry blossom. And they were actually able to see which part of the DNA of the mice was responsible for that fear, which showed that the fear had actually become integrated into the DNA of the mice. The study was done on two different mice, and both of the mice's offspring and their offspring's offspring showed the same fear towards the smell of the cherry blossom, even though they had never had an experience with it. So, in relation to anxiety, if your grandparents developed anxious tendencies and they passed them to your parents and your parents passed them to you, you're more likely to develop them than somebody else might be. 
And because of that, some people might say, well, my anxiety has to do with the chemical imbalance or my anxiety is genetic. So there's not really anything I can do. And maybe it is genetic, but when you look at the true origin of where the anxiety originated, whether it was your parents or your grandparents or their grandparents, the true origin of the problem was psychological. And because of that, the solution is always psychological. And even if you're more likely to develop anxious tendencies because of your genetics, just because anxiety is more likely to arise within you doesn't mean that the solution is any different than it is for anybody else. If mice were smart enough to acknowledge that the fear of the cherry blossom was an illusory fear, the fear would no longer motivate their behavior at all, and they would consequently change their genetic code, just like how they changed it in the first place when they developed the fear of the cherry blossom. But mice are not smart enough to acknowledge that. Lucky for us, we are. So when the anxiety arises within you, ask yourself where did it come from? What was the trigger event? If you started to gain the awareness of your own anxiety, you would restructure your own DNA and interrupt the process of passing it down the generations. You would literally change your genetic code in a way, and your kids would be less likely to develop anxious tendencies. When you do acknowledge the root of the anxiety, what you'll recognize is that a lot of the underlying beliefs that caused the anxiety to arise in the first place are actually completely insane. But you will never acknowledge their insanity as long as those beliefs remain in your unconscious. It's when you bring that unconscious belief to the surface, to your conscious mind, that you can recognize, oh yeah, that's nuts. When you walk past a group of people and you hear them burst into laughter, if you have a common tendency to become anxious, you're most likely going to immediately draw the conclusion, they have to be laughing at me. So let's say that they are. Let's say everybody thinks that your existence is an absolute joke and that you can't ever do anything right. You're always in the wrong and everybody's figured you out. That usually seems to be the underlying fear. The anxiety about people laughing at you is just the surface level fear, which stems from the underlying fear, which is that nobody likes you, that maybe you are undeserving of people's love. Obviously, that's going to be a painful belief for anybody. It's no wonder we feel a natural resistance towards that belief. Nobody would want to accept that. But what you need to ask yourself is, are you going to change that possibility by resisting it? Isn't it true that the anxiety you feel is not going to play any part in whether people like you or don't like you? The point is, you're almost never going to win people's approval by trying to win it, and you're never going to avoid people's disapproval by worrying about it. And let's consider the marginal chance that those people really are laughing at you. What sort of problems and insecurities do you think that they have where their method of validating themselves is to just talk negatively about everybody else? Is that the kind of person's approval that you want to win? When you recognize the futility in this sort of anxiety, it goes away. You're free to surrender at any time. And when you do surrender to the possibility of being laughed at, and this fear is no longer making you think irrationally, you'll also see that they almost certainly were not laughing at you. But you can only really see this when you allow the possibility to exist for them to laugh at you. And I think this state of acceptance is what will actually make people like you more, when you don't care whether or not they do. Because people like to be around carefree people. So the anxiety doesn't serve any purpose at all in this situation. I think if I were to try to describe anxiety in as few of words as possible, I would say that anxiety is a surface level fear for an underlying fear with much deeper roots. When you're able to let go of the resistance towards that deeper fear, you'll remove it from the roots. And similar to when you remove a weed from the roots, all of the space that the weed was taking up becomes available, and you could plant anything that you'd like there. In other words, when you enter a state of acceptance and non-resistance, 
All of the energy that the fear was consuming is suddenly available to you. It's at your discretion. When this occurs, you might ask the question, was all the energy that that fear consumed ever necessary? When you look at the current circumstances of your life right now, ask yourself the question, did all the anxiety and all the fear I felt in the past year contribute to my position in life right now in any way? When you have a fear, it's trying to tell you something. When you feel fear as you stand at the edge of a cliff and you ask yourself, what is the fear indicating? It's indicating the possibility of death. So it's very helpful fear, but the fear becomes unnecessary when you can maintain a state of awareness to the danger of the cliff and the possibility of death. When you experience anxiety, ask yourself, what is it indicating? And just like in any other scenario, when you gain awareness of what the true underlying fear is, of where it originates, the anxiety no longer serves a purpose. Everything that I'm saying right now is just my way of trying to help you get to a place of surrender. And none of the methods that I'm trying to give you to help you get there are necessary, but they could be helpful. The only thing that is always necessary is surrender, non-resistance, acceptance. If you lived in a constant state of surrender and you let go of all these expectations and fears and surrender to all possibilities, anxiety would be a completely foreign feeling to you. All of you just simply allowed life to be the way it is and allowed things to happen the way that they happen. The reason that I believe that the solution for anxiety is always psychological is because the problem of anxiety is always resistance. If the problem is always resistance, then the solution is always surrender. But you most likely won't resolve your anxiety instantly, although it's possible, it's much more probable that certain anxieties will continue to arise within you. And when they do, continue to surrender, and you'll watch the anxieties diminish more and more. I do think that in talking about these emotions, I could come off as sounding very pretentious, like I'm trying to imply that I'm completely liberated from them, and that's not it at all. It's just that my definition for what anxiety is, is what has changed. When it arises, I don't consider it a part of who I am. I consider it an indication that I'm unaware of some fear, and that reminder helps me to gain the awareness necessary in order to let the emotion pass. So the difference now is just that the emotional cycle completes much quicker because of how the definition has changed. And this episode was really just as much for me as it was for you guys. For my anxieties, at this point, I don't take a super active approach of allocating time to meditate on them or anything like that. Although you could do that. For me, I just live my life as it is. And when I feel anxiety, then I take the time to dive into seeing what the underlying fear is. In these podcasts, prior to recording them, I write an outline for certain points that I want to touch on and sort of create a guideline for myself to follow so that I can have an idea of the direction that I'm going. And in writing about anxiety in the outline, and in talking about it right now, I feel like my understanding of certain anxieties of my own was able to become much more clear. It's kind of like what I was talking about on the first episode of Discovering Truth. The more conscious you become about a principle, the more thorough your understanding becomes of it, and the closer you will get to seeing the real truth. And in talking about these emotions right now, I definitely feel like it's helping me get closer to seeing the real truth. That anxiety is an indicator which is helpful, but with awareness becomes unnecessary. And it's cool to see that intention with the podcast materialize for myself already. I do feel like it's also important to mention that it's very possible for somebody to misinterpret the message that I'm trying to convey and to think, great, now you've just given me another thing to feel anxious about. Now I'm feeling anxious about feeling anxious. Or now I'm feeling guilty about feeling guilty. What's wrong with me? And there's nothing wrong with you for feeling anything you feel. When you scrape your leg, you don't think that there's something wrong with you for feeling hurt. 
Physical pain is an indicator just like the emotions that we've been talking about. It helps you become aware of the damage you've done to your body so that you know to avoid it. And these emotions are just doing the same thing, but instead of to your body, it's to your mind. There's no need to judge yourself for feeling them, especially because they're most likely going to continue to arise within you. You're usually not going to get rid of the feeling instantly by entering a state of acceptance and letting go of the fear because the fear has become habitual. Especially if you spent your whole life believing that there is something wrong with you, you may not instantly shift that belief because you spent so long refining it. So it could take time, but each time it comes up and you gain awareness over it, the next time it comes up will be less intense, and the next time less intense. And in this process, you're slowly disidentifying from the emotion. So if this podcast does nothing for you but give you the hope of liberating yourself from anxiety, then I feel like I've accomplished the primary intention in recording this. Because if you really understand what I'm saying when I say that the root of all anxiety is resistance, then that understanding alone will put you on the right trajectory to a state of liberation from anxiety. And once you're on that trajectory, it is impossible to veer off because you can't unlearn a principle. That's it for this episode. Thank you for tuning in, and I'll see you on the next time.